0: Toronto Blue Jays have today off. Kevin Barker, by my count, that means they have seven games left before they return to Toronto. My understanding is they will have a workout at the Rogers Centre on Wednesday, take Thursday off, and then start the season on Friday. I suppose that is subject to change, but that—that's not the season opening, but the workout schedule. That's the plan right now. Uh, the Jays five-four losers to Atlanta. Yesterday, and, um, well, Kevin, we're at, we're at the point right now with seven games left in the Grapefruit League season. We know the results don't mean anything. We certainly know that the the one loss record in the Grapefruit League doesn't necessarily mean anything. But I, I think yesterday, we both agreed when we talked, and we both agreed as we watched yesterday's game, that kind of our point of emphasis right now is trying to get a handle on the readiness of the pitchers as we approach opening day, uh, this lineup is pretty much set we we think the acquisition of uh, of, of Tapia has kind of rounded out the uh, roster. You know, it appears as if Alejandro Kirk will make the team. It doesn't appear as if there's a trade in a hori- on the horizon that we know the Cleveland Guardians are, according to Paul Hoynes, talking about an extension for Jose Ramirez, which if that were to happen would likely take him off the table as a trade ship. So, so this is kind of where the Blue Jays are right now. Um, I, f- from my point of view, yesterday's game... The, you know, I've been kind of focusing in on middle relief anyhow. From my point of view, yesterday's game, the, the the thing that interested me the most was David Phelps because we've talked about David Phelps and how good he was for this team. Charlie Montoyo, after the game, is essentially saying, hey, David Phelps is on this team if he's healthy, period. Like, he's not auditioning for a job. He's auditioning for health. So let's talk about what we saw out of the middle relievers yesterday because all the, all the other stuff that went on, look, Beau Bichette isn't hitting much this spring. Bobochet's played every game but two so far this spring. Bobochet's in kind of that grinding mode right now. Uh he's doing what he has to do to get ready. I, I just I do not care about the numbers the numbers in spring training at all. But talk to me a little bit about this the middle relievers and what we've seen right now.
1: Yeah, Marquis Grissom always used to tell me that the the numbers that you get in spring training don't go on the back of your baseball card. So you can, you can read into that, what you want to read into it. I'm with you, Bo. Bo's one of those guys, all the moving parts. I do know when I was down there, it looked to me like he'd quiet, quiet down the hands a little bit. There's not as much rolling of the hands before he lifts the leg kick. Remember, now he's got two different leg kicks. He's got that one yep. that he'll raise it, and then he has to raise it a little bit more when he knows his, you know, he, he recognizes off-speed pitch out of the hand. So it takes some time to get the foot down and get it singing. So don't pay a whole lot of attention there. Just think that they're all healthy. That's the biggest Deal, and it seems like they are. They're working out the kinks. They'll be ready to go when the seven games are over. The middle relief guys. Look, the one guy that stands out to me is uh, is Tim Mesa. I I watched him yesterday. He's the one guy that's left-handed that's going to have a big role out of this bullpen in big spots. That if you watch and 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 you know pay real attention to his stuff, I don't want to say it has to be perfect location-wise. But it has to be as about as close to perfect as, as you can get, right? It's If he's missing middle of the plate and up a little bit, like we saw yesterday, bad things are going to happen. Like, it, the, the ball just seems to not move as much. It flattens out a lot more. It doesn't have the late giddy-up to it like it does when he's pitching in. He's establishing in. Uh, it has the late movement to it, and then he can feed that off the slider. Look, maybe I'm reading too much into this. Uh, You know, maybe I don't have as much confidence in Tim Mays as a lot of other people do. But I just think with the role that he's going to play – He's the one guy here that you 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 know you you need to see him starting to get big league hitters out. Forget about the guy that's got the number seventy five on his back. Who cares if he's getting him out? It's the other guys, the everyday guys that you know. He's setting them up. He's putting them away. He's doing it efficiently. Uh, that that's one of the guys. And then you see yesterday, Trevor Richards looked good. Uh, David Phelps, like you mentioned, had some bad luck, but he was finished. His finish on his pitches were good. Life on his pitches were good. He was throwing it. Where he wanted it to go, which is for me the biggest key, Jeff, because we've always said he's the one guy in that bullpen that doesn't r- rely on power and late movement. He can say, guy doesn't like the ball up. I'm going to throw it up until you show me, you know, you can make adjustments and hit that. So. I like what I saw from him yesterday. Uh, Adam Simber, look, he's flipping it from down under. It's, he's a, he's a nightmare for right handed hitters and lefties. If he can continue to throw that ball up and in with some late spin to it and get some, you know, some weird swings on it and some lazy pop ups. You got trust in him. I'm with you. I I said this to you yesterday. Uh, the bullpen for me is the one worry. There's a couple of guys in the bullpen or in the starting rotation that you you know sometimes will make you scratch your head. But for the most part, you trust those guys because they've been there and done it before. It's that bullpen that you just don't know. Do you know that? Do you, do you think that they can do it one year, come back the next year and look the same? That's the question for me. And spring training, I don't think has. You know, I, I didn't walk away there oozing confidence that when you see these guys getting the ball when it matters the most, that it's a slam dunk. And for a team that's supposed to go where the Blue Jays are at, that for me is just a little bit of a worry, Jeff.
0: Yeah, we, we need to – we also need to keep in mind that we really haven't seen Yemi Garcia yet, and he's you know, he's been counted on uh, to certainly uh, bolster the bullpen and and get a number of, of – He's going to be asked to get a number of big outs. But, yeah, look, I, I, I am with you. you. The way the game is managed right now, maybe, well, yeah, you're going to need it anyhow because you're in the American League. I was going to say maybe less so with the with the DH, but that's that really doesn't apply to the American League because the DH has been around for a while. But the way the game is managed now, you are going to need a couple of effective lefties out of the bullpen at some point, and... I think there's a lot of. Wouldn't say necessarily a lot of pressure. There, there are a lot of expectations on Tim Mesa this year. Uh, I think there's still expectations on Ryan Barucki, who you know doesn't really get mentioned an awful lot. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, if Ryan Barucki can somehow put it together, I, I've said this now for a couple of years. If he can somehow put it together, he can be a very important pitcher in this team. Uh, but. Yeah, it's uh, this is always the this kind of the part of spring training that I've always had a difficult time with because it's not really the middle of the spring. You can see the end, the light at the end of the tunnel in 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 a a normal spring. Right about now is when everybody be getting the red ass because it's you've been in Florida (laughs) or Arizona way too long, right? I mean, you have. You've just you've had too much extra. I mean, you know what I mean. This yeah. is the the days can't move fast enough. The last week of spring I, training, I would have had the it because I'd have just gotten. Happens. I would have right? just only gotten bad sent stuff down. Happens now. Well, I would have just gotten sent down, so I would have really had the red ass. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, yeah. No, But it's true. Only bad stuff can happen the last week of spring training. It, yeah. it, it, I mean, you'd like to wrap, put everybody in bubble wrap, and just just stay home. Don't leave your hotel room. Order in. Watch TV, play video games, whatever. Avoid all sharp objects because only bad stuff can happen at uh, at 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 this time. But I think, given the nature of this spring training, and we'll be joined by 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 Buck Martinez later on, and we'll be joined by Alex Anthopoulos as well, and 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 we'll we'll ask them because these guys they've been in more spring trainings than I have. Um, we'll ask them if they're what they. Would normally be looking at going into the final week of spring training is the same thing they're looking at right now. In other words, if this were a normal spring and we'd started on February fourteenth or whatever, would they be approaching this 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 final week this this finishing kick uh, uh, a little a little differently? Uh, and it'll be fascinating to to see what what they say. Uh, the Jays did make. A bunch of cuts yesterday i, I we got to stop using the word cuts you know it's like it when a guy gets cut from an nfl team he's cut he has gone yep he's going back to the car washer how whatever. about sent down That's yeah a it's way to like say. you know oh my god i i i, I remember we're, we're we've got cuts coming down today really so the guy who was going to go to double a at the start of spring is going to double a is that a cut like we yeah. got to come up with another name for it. Arovis Arellis- Martinez was cut by the ball. Well, no, he wasn't. Arovis Martinez was sent down. And yeah. it's just, it's a pet peeve of mine because it assumes that everybody, all 65 players in camp have a chance of making the team. And you know, that's just not true.
1: Right. I, I can all, Jeff, I can always remember a quick story. Whenever I was in spring training, it was, it was mainly, and you, you know, this because you covered a bunch of those. It was mainly every Sunday because that's when they handed out all the meal money. And we had a group, you know, in spring training right. that, that you would always walk in early. Early Sunday morning, and go, hey, did you get your meal money? <laughs> like you would always ask the guy that you knew that was going to go down. Hey, did you get your meal money? And then if they said no, you'd be like, ah, oh, here, here it comes, and you sort of knew what the day was
0: going to be. So, the guy, but I, the I, guy'd be looking at you and going, why are you asking me? Why are you thinking? <laughs> why are you asking me if I'm being sent down, Barker? I should be coming to ask you. No, that is yeah. true. It, nothing, nothing happens accidentally. Listen, for a multi-billion-dollar nope. industry, if they can save sixty-five bucks on meal money. They'll save sixty-five bucks in meal money. You they know they what's worse? You know what's worse too is
1: the worst, and I, this has happened to me more than one time. Is I've been sent down. That day, early that morning, did not get my meal money. Was called back over because it was a road trip, so they only had to give me like ten dollars. <laughs> you know, so I was just double fingering it to that organization because you sent me down. Now I got to go on a three and a half hour bus ride one way, and you're going to give me
0: ten bucks. And you're going to get a nice, you're going to get a nice two hour road trip to <laughs> yeah down down the interstate Stay to, hot. to Fort Myers or Fort Myers. Fort Myers, four-hour trip to Fort Myers. Yeah. You're going to get a nice submarine sandwich there. Eh? a <laughs> submarine sandwich on the stay- way home. Probably just the tomato cheese and lettuce sub because somebody will have picked all the meat off it. It's beautiful. That's yeah. Stay hot.
1: Yeah, stay hot. It was one of those things, and, and Gibby did that to me. Gibby sent me down one year and said, don't go anywhere, don't change your big league uni because you're going on the trip. <laughs> I did not like him. At that moment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's awful. It's Man, I miss Mark those days. <laughs> Please rate, review, and subscribe. Now, let's talk about that a little bit. We can, we'll, we'll have a chance to talk about the Jays when, when, when Buck is on and when, and when Alex joins us as well. But talk about those. Talk about – I mean, that's part of spring training, right? Getting sent down is part of spring training. Not getting sent down is part of spring training. Was there – I forgive me. How many did? You, how many times did you make the team out of spring training? And you. Know oh, all I'm asking you. Only one time. That was 2000 when okay, I was for was, sure.
1: When I was, for was sure the first like? baseman. It
0: okay, was the, best the tr- final day. Oh, final days of spring training are wearing down, and you're. Like, did someone come to you and give you the high sign and say, "Hey, Bark"? Yeah, relax. You got this. You're making the no, team. I,
1: I knew going into spring training that I'd made the team already. And, you know, okay. I, I just got to be honest with you. Like, I would hit a one-hop screamer to the second baseman. I could care less. <laughs> that That's the difference. Like, w- mm-hmm. when I knew that I had the job, I would just work on mechanics, getting my foot down, being nice and fluid. I could work counts a little bit better. I could take a, a borderline strike fastball early in the count that I knew if I was trying to make a team. I wasn't taking that, buddy. I was getting it down and, and, you know, trying to spin and throw the hips at the baseball, do all those things. I was trying to be more excited. But when you know you're making a team, it's just easier. It's that mindset of, okay, yeah, I hit a line drive. That's exactly where I want to be because I know those line drives will start. I'll start creating more backspin and the ball go where I ultimately want it to go. So, yeah, it's it's way easier when you know for sure that you've made a team. It's like Bo Bichette. You, you led the show off with talking about Bo Bichette, not mm-hmm. caring about his numbers. If he was fighting for a team – we would be carrying; He'd be carrying a lot more, but obviously he's not. And it just makes it a little bit easier because, you know, you're not having to worry about anything like that. You're worrying about, you know, just the little things, the little tweaks that you're making. I can still remember the the, the last day that I was in camp, the last guy that I could hear in the batting cage was Vladdy. Vladdy was the only guy in there. I, I was, I left the, that billion dollar, facility to go to the field. The only guy that I could hear in the batting cage was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Just tweaking things, working off the tee. So that's what they do, right? The established ones, the ones that are going to make the team don't have to worry about anything else. They don't have to worry about the, making sure that the manager's door is tweaked open. So mm-hmm. he could hear you in the batting cage, taking balls off the tee
0: because the sound's different. He did. They don't have to worry about that. Did knowing you were going to make the team in 2000, 2000- Change how it felt when friends of yours were sent out you know you're in the clubhouse in spring training you know you got the team made guys who were with you in the minors teammates, probably close friends they may have been sent out did that did, did, did that change the way you know you you did, did that change kind of the the sentiment or the emotion when you saw one of your good friends going down? Not really. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but when
1: I was young enough, listen,
0: it's fair. It's a business. That's that's why I'm asking.
1: I was I was young enough at the time that that I was. It was all about me. It wasn't about my buddies. I wasn't there to make buddies. I mean, I had some because Mm -hmm. I was happy-go-lucky, and and you know I I was hitting in groups with all the big boys because I was one of the big boys. You know, I could hit the balls just as far as they could hit it, and that was sort of fun. And you know, I was, I was a part of that. But when it comes down to, you know, your your buddies getting sent down, it's like, you know, you could be playing cards at a table and your buddy walk by and you'd be like, hey, why aren't you dressed? And he tells you you're getting sent down and you're like, oh, and then he walks out the door and it's like, here's my five of hearts. <laughs> it's like
0: you just, uh, you, just
1: <laughs> you just don't. I mean, it's it's nothing against your buddy but it is you know it is a cutthroat kind of game when it comes to basically you're thinking to yourself thank goodness that wasn't me and and it's him and not me and that's just the way baseball is that's you know it's it's just one of those games that it's a very end i know it's team sport but it is very individual when it comes to you know you're thinking about your career and where it's going and how much money as quick as you can make that money that's what you're trying to do so yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a sad moment for about thirty
0: seconds, and then after that, you really try not to think about it. Any incidents you remember, guys pitching a fit when they've been sent down, or or, or you know, guys maybe not pitching a fit, but guys throwing stuff in the locker, or guys who were really upset. You don't have to mention. You don't have to mention names if you want, but guys who were really upset when they were sent when they were sent no, down. No,
1: the only the only one, and I've told you this story. I don't know if I've told it on the air before, but I was with the Phillies, and and the person that sends – that releases people, I was released, flipped me the release paper when I was called in the room. He flipped it, and it was in, sort of in slow motion across the table. He didn't, like, slide it over to me. He flipped it to me. And, you know, I'd been around long enough that you don't flip papers to me. You hand right. it to me. Respect me enough to do that. And, you know, I was seeing <laughs> – I was thinking of things that I could do to him and get away with it, and people wouldn't find out. And then, you know, since I, I – I, Collected myself and signed it and left and didn't say anything. That's that's one time that happened to me. Most people respect it enough and understand the game enough that it's a business. That, you know, th- these teams are basically made before everybody ever shows up to spring training. It's odd that a guy shows up and nobody's ever heard of and makes a baseball team out of spring training. It's very odd. I mean, this, it's, it happens occasionally. You know, this, you've seen it, but it's very, very odd. Most of these organizations, most of these teams know their teams going in to spring training and adjust accordingly to that. And most of these
0: players understand. I understood and most of the players that I were around understood. The managers always. Do the releasing, or is that also a sign of where you are in an organization? You know, if the manager is the one that calls you in and says, "Hey, hey, Bark, you know, look, we we we, we're going to send you out. We like what you did. We want you to work on this. You know, you're you've had a good spring. You're in the forefront of our mind, and all that. Go down and hit it. Yada yada. Yeah. Uh, Is it always the manager who delivers? And is that a sign to you? If the manager's delivering the message, does that mean that you've had a pretty good spring and you're still in their plans, or do you read anything into it? As as far as I know, the manager always sends people down out of street training. It's never the
1: GM, it's never the president. Obviously the president you okay. never see. It's a lot of the times it has it's always the manager. Now released, that would be a little different story. I've never been released out of big league camp. I've never been released from the big leagues. I'm assuming that the GM would come to you and say okay. that kind of thing. Like that's a higher level. Now the minor leagues, the coach will come to you and say Look, the organization wants to go a different route. Uh, You're basically not in their plans. Depends on the relationship between you and the manager. That's how the conversation will go. Normally, the the conversations that I've had, that the rooms that I've been in, the conversation is very short. It is organization wants to go a different route. You're not a part of it. Here, sign this. I sign it. I go out of the room. I go pack my stuff up. You know, the clubby helps me get my stuff to the car, and that's it. So it's,
0: you know, it's cutthroat. It is what it is, but. Everybody has to go through it sooner or later. Let's bring in Buck Martinez, our Blue Jays analyst on Sportsnet. Buck, thanks for joining Kevin and myself. We'll talk about the obviously the Jays in a minute, but Kevin and I were just talking a bit about what happens when a player gets sent out or a player gets released. Because I was, you know, we always talk about players getting cut from spring training, and I, I it's a bugaboo of mine because I assume when somebody gets when I hear the word cut, so and so has been cut from the Kansas City Chiefs, that means he's going back to work at the car wash. Like he's been cut, he's gone. <laughs> Baseball cuts—you're going down to the minor leagues for the most part. So the idea that the organization's saying goodbye to you isn't the same. But look, you've had to—you've been in a position where you've had to tell players that they're not making a team or that they've been released. Can you tell us a little bit about what those conversations are like from a, from a manager's point of view?
2: Yeah, Jeff, they're not very—they're uh, not very comfortable for sure. I think the biggest thing is that. You know, I mean, these guys have lives and families and everything else, and sometimes you are telling a guy that his career has come to an end, and you are telling him that his career is over. So, the uh, you know, the tough part of it is you have to break the news to a guy. I did that with a couple of guys in spring training, and uh, it's never easy. Um, I sent Vernon Wells down when he thought he had a chance to make the team, and it was a very emotional time for him. But when you looked at the team at that point, we were loaded with outfielders, and uh, you know his time wasn't ready, so it was just a matter of him making the adjustment and going to the minor leagues, but yeah, it's never fun, and uh, you know, it's, uh, I got released the day after the final day of the season in 86, and uh, you know I had played a long time, and it still was an emotional time, but it's, it's not an easy thing for a player, and um, you know, Gordash uh, was my GM in uh, 2001, and we had a, a roster cuts and I had a player in the camp that was going to make the team for the first time. And Gore said, I'll go tell him. I said, the hell you will. I'm going to tell him because I've been telling the guys that they've been cut. I want to tell the one guy that made the team. I'm going to break the good news.
0: Yeah. Hey, for look, once I want to be the bearer of good news, right? I don't want to be the grim yeah. reaper. I'm coming with flowers, not a, you know, not, not whatever
2: the grim reaper sure? carries. But, Buck Buck, have you ever Chris Mahalik and I uh yeah, I had a chance to tell Chris that he'd made the big league club for the first time. That was pretty special. Buck, have you ever been a
1: part of or, or heard of anybody throwing a fit, like throwing things after they've been released? Jeff asked me that question. I can't remember <laughs> anybody that's ever done that. Have you ever seen anybody do that?
2: No, I haven't personally, but I'll tell you one interesting situation in uh Fort Myers early on. I think it was nineteen seventy three, uh uh I got called into the manager's office. No, I was, you know, I was in the in a camp and uh, Jose Martinez got called into the office and he everybody thought he was getting sent down. He comes out with a big smile. He goes, "Wrong one." They <laughs> 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 called the wrong Martinez. <laughs> oh god.
0: Um, so I <laughs> How do you recover from that? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, you don't's know, gone years <laughs> uh, uh Buck, <laughs> remember that one that's <laughs> tremendous um. Uh, let's shift focus to uh, to this team. Seven seven, seven games left. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just imagining wrong. one. I can imagine a guy coming out with a smile on his face. Um, seven games, seven games left in the Grapefruit League season. What do you still need to see as uh, somebody who's followed this team? What do you because every manager you get to a certain point you need to see something, right? You need to see somebody do something. What do you need to see?
2: Yeah. I think the biggest thing is you want to see consistency uh, from your pitchers. you want to see them going out and throwing strikes and rebounding and coming back the next day and doing the same thing and that's going to be the challenge now for Charlie and Pete is to get their relievers in back to back situations before the season starts, you know. The Blue Jays' uh, expectations are sky high. So you don't want to have any question marks when you go into that Texas series on opening weekend and say, "Okay, I wonder what we're going to get from this guy. You have to know what you're going to get. And that's what they have to find out in the next uh, 11 games as they wrap up the spring training. Who can be consistent? And you know what? When you look at the bullpen, I mean, we all pretty much assume what the bullpen is going to be. You know, you figure that Romano's going to close and that Yemi Garcia will be there, Tim Mazin, Simber Richards, uh, maybe Ryan Barucki, Andrew Vasquez. uh, Ross Stripling will probably be there as a swing guy, but there are some questions, you know. Uh, Can Nate Pearson throw enough strikes to be somebody you can count on out of the bullpen? Can Julian Merriweather throw enough strikes and use his secondary pitches? Uh, Trent Thornton has thrown the ball fairly well so far this spring. And, you know, how many of those long guys do you need in your bullpen? So I think Ross Atkins is still looking around for a guy that can pitch in the seventh, eighth inning and and give you some strikeouts. I think that's uh, one thing he'd like to have a little more of a veteran presence that can strike people out. That being said, David Phelps has been a tremendous surprise this spring, how quickly he's come back from a very dramatic surgery in the off season or actually last May. So Phelps has been good. And now, uh, you know, he had a good outing on Monday. I know the line didn't look good, but he threw the ball well. And now be important to see how he feels on Wednesday and whether or not he can come back off of that.
1: Uh, Buck, with Yusei Kikuchi, I saw before I left to come back to Toronto on Sunday, he was pitching against the Phillies. And and the very first thing, because I had pretty good seats, I was sitting right behind home plate, I had noticed mile-per-hour on the fastball was 92-93. Is that worrisome for a manager this time of spring training?
2: No. I'll tell you why, because there's always kind of a lull in the middle of spring training where you know you've heard the phrase your whole life about dead arms but you know it's kind of a dead body time where you know you work out you know the days are long and everything is uh, kind of like okay i've done this enough now the next one i think will be more of a gauge of where he's at because everybody's going to have a little downturn. You know, guys have been going hard in this abbreviated spring training, so I'm more concerned about his next outing. And they have talked about it. Charlie has mentioned that they're not going to take all five starters up with them to Toronto for the opening weekend. They're going to leave some guys back and let them continue to get their work in down here and then uh, probably fly them in maybe Sunday or Monday in New York when they go to play the Yankees. But... Uh, I, I I was there obviously, and I saw Kakuchi, and yeah, you know what you say. Well, wow, that wasn't quite as good as last time, but I I factor in the fact that that was his third outing, and I think he's going to be just fine.
1: Okay, you've watched uh, Greg Bird, you've seen him live and in person. Uh, what 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 are your thoughts on him? And with the expanded twenty eight man roster for the first month, do you think he makes the team? And if he does, wh- what kind of fit? Do, do, you know, how does he fit with this team?
2: well I, I like uh bird i think uh you know a few years ago with the yankees he was one of the top prospects in all of baseball and he had a big impact when he first came up with the yankees and provided some power you know i think it was 17 he had eight home runs in spring training and then he fouled the ball off his foot and he hasn't been really healthy since until last year last year in triple a had 27 home runs and and you know I think the bat is intriguing. I think he can play a Rowdy Tellez kind of role where he DHs, he plays a little first when Vladdy needs a blow, and I think that um, he has swung the bat well enough to be an interesting part of this team. Um, You know, I I think he needs to be a little more aggressive in the field and be uh, a little more aggressive at first base if he is going to play first when Vladdy is off. But uh, I like his bat. I think the the approach he has is is very similar to the style that uh, Guillermo Martinez wants to see from all of his hitters. And he uses the whole field, and he has good power to the opposite field. So I think he's a good fit for this team, and I, I kind of expect him to make the team.
0: It, it now appears, well, at least from what we've heard, It seems as if there's a chance, a better chance the Jays are going to take three catchers going north than we may have thought a month ago. Me personally, I don't know how you felt about it a month ago. Um, Good or bad that they're taking Alejandro Kirk with it? Look, I think a lot of us look at Alejandro Kirk and say, and I thought he was either going to, I'll admit it, I thought he was either going to be part of a big trade or start the year in AAA. Um, Clearly that trade so far hasn't happened. It doesn't look like it will. Is is it is it good for him to be with this team or does he need to go down and catch every day?
2: Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I, I think the Blue Jays like him more for his bat than his catching ability right now. And, and I think with that that I think they envision him as a guy that can pinch hit from time to time, uh, DH from time to time against lefties and, you know, the way it sets up. I mean, maybe Bird's the DH against righties and Kirk's the DH against lefties, but I'm with you, Jeff. I think initially the plan was for Gabe Moreno and Alejandro Kirk to catch a AAA, and then Danny Jansen and Reese McGuire to catch in the big leagues. But I, I think that's changed a little bit, and I, I think they're probably going to take him as well.
1: Buck, how big of a year is
2: this for Kevin Biggio? Um, you know what? I don't know if it's a do-or-die year, but I think it's a good year for him to have a clear mind and know that he's going to play second and not have to deal with third that's a tremendous adjustment to ask for any player to come in and all of a sudden say, you're going to be our everyday third baseman. And I think he he was overwhelmed by the speed of things, Uh, the speed of the ball coming at you from a different angle than you're used to. And I think he's much more comfortable at second. And, Kevin, I think another thing that kind of crept into his approach was the subtle thought that he had to hit like a third baseman. Mm-hmm. And, and he's not that type of guy. And, you know, he, he got away from his approach, which was taking a lot of pitches. And, you know, I, I think he tried to ambush some, some pitches early in the at-bats. And I think that created problems for him. And then on top of it, you know, he dealt with a couple of injuries throughout the course of the season. And I just think the entire season was a grind for him. But what I've seen so far this spring is head's in a good place. Physically, he's in a good spot. And I think he's much more comfortable thinking about the prospects of playing second base.
0: We had John Schneider on yesterday, and we were talking about the impact Matt Chapman is going to have in this team. And and not just, I can say not in a positive way. Yeah. In a positive way. But look, John said he, Matt Chapman is a game changer defensively. He will change a lot of the things we do in the field. Strategically. He is going to change the way we are going to play some of our shifts just because of the amount of ground. Uh, the amount of ground he can cover. Look, I've watched the games on TV. I've heard them a little bit on on on, on, on radio. But until you're in the ballpark and you actually see what's going on with Matt Chapman, I, I, I don't know if, if, if we necessarily get a complete picture of it. He really is going to make a, a difference for this team defensively, isn't he? It? It's almost like you've added – it's almost like you're, it's an NFL team and you've added a defensive player of the year, and now you kind of structure yourself, your, your defense around him.
2: Yeah, you sure have, Jeff. And and he has been a defensive player of the year in the past. And, you know, he has such a unique style of playing third base because he plays so deep. And he's able to play deep because he has a cannon for an arm and he's got great explosive first steps that he can get in on those little choppers and rollers that he makes great plays on. But at the same time, I think another thing, and I've said this time and time again, The front office has done a hell of a job of bringing in character guys. And when this guy stepped into camp, it was like he'd been here for years. He went around and introduced introduced himself to everybody. He brought his wife to the clubhouse the first day and said, you know, we're going to love it here. We fit right in. And when you hear him talk, he is so excited about the prospects of playing on this team. And he's not worried about, you know, where he hits in the lineup or anything else. He just wants to be part of a winner. And I, and I think he understands how good this team is. But again, they have brought in another character player that's going to be a tremendous asset. And in this day and age, in any kind of sport, chemistry is so important because everybody is, is making good money. Everybody, Money is not an issue. It's about how you get along with your teammates and how badly you want to win as a team. And when you have Bo and Vladdy and Chapman and Springer and Gurriel and and on and on and on, all these guys, all they talk about is winning. They don't talk about contracts or cars or good-looking outfits or anything else. They talk about winning every single day. They are getting ready to win a World Series championship, and Matt Chapman fits right into them.
0: Buck, really good of you to join us. Uh, Cannot wait to see you up here. Uh, Looking forward to seeing you middle of next week, and then Friday it gets going for real. Thanks for your time, as always, my friend. Be well. Travel safely.
2: Thanks, Buck. All right. Thanks for having me, fellas. You have a
0: great day. Bye for now. Thank you. Take care. Buck Martinez, Blue Jays analyst on Sportsnet. And uh, the Jays have today off. They've got the Yankees tomorrow. I believe that's a night game at, at Steinbrenner Field, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, which is always kind of, it's kind of cool because I, look, I'm a big fan of day baseball, but that night game at Steinbrenner Field in spring training is kind of neat because it feels a little more like a, it feels a little more like a regular season game. Uh, Kevin, I know we're going to be joined by Alex Anthopoulos in a few minutes, but I, it, it also brings something else up. Um, was it important for you, because you you would have spent a lot of time in the in the cactus League I, would, would you, most of your spring training was in was in Arizona? Would I be correct in saying it,
1: it, Well yeah, yeah, I spent quite a few in Arizona, but okay. I did spend some time in Florida too.
0: Was it important to get a night game in before the regular season started? you know just get uh, get get used to the lights and and things like that, or is that is that just, just yeah, spring training? you played at 10 in the morning. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, I think if you're an, if
1: you're an established guy, the 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 late games are not what you want. You'd you'd rather have okay. some you know some some uh, suns out, funds out, guns out, or whatever, however you want to say it. Uh, I think that that has a little bit more to do with it than I can remember. Uh That I, I think we went on the road one time. I don't even remember which team I was with, that I went to, but the the road trip was long. We had a night game, and then I got sent down. And minor league camp starts way earlier than big league camp. You got to be at minor league camp at like six fifteen. So I'm not, I didn't get home till like one thirty, and I got to be at the field the next day at like six o'clock because yeah. I got sent down. So it's it's a di- it's different for everybody else. But you know, it's look. I I, I think these guys are so physically in tune with what they, who they are, where, you know, what they need to do, where, well, you know, whether they play night games or day games. I don't think it
0: really matters. Alex Anthopoulos is general manager of the Atlanta Braves. He's had quite an offseason. He's had quite a busy offseason. And uh, yet, if you look at the Braves, well, I mean, I'm trying to – I'm looking ahead to my World Series picks, and I, I think I'll probably lean to the Dodgers, but I got the Braves right up there which is something to say when you've lost Freddie Freeman. Alex Anthopoulos joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fan and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. give you a little update as well on uh, Pete Walker the Blue Jays pitching coach we uh, discussed yesterday how uh, Pete had been arrested and uh, charged with DUI in uh, Florida and both the Jays and Pete Walker issued releases um, essentially saying that they were were collecting information and, and letting the legal process work its way through Uh, Pete Walker did decide yesterday, according to documents, uh, Pete Walker did decide yesterday to plead not guilty through his lawyer. So uh, we will wait and see uh, any further developments in that particular case. And, of course, whether or not it has any immediate or future impact on uh, Pete Walker and uh, his availability to the Blue Jays. But he has been with the team the past couple of days as their pitching coach and there's no indication we've received yet that there will be any change to that in the immediate future but again the Jays have today off they'll be back on the field tomorrow the Jays lost 5-4 to the Atlanta Braves yesterday the defending world champion Atlanta Braves their general manager is Alex Anthopoulos And as always, we're very pleased when Alex Anthopoulos takes time out to join us today. Alex, thank you very much for doing this. I would imagine that it never gets old being introduced as the general manager of the World Series champions. Uh, So I will take this opportunity to do it as often as I can. Uh, We're in the last week of spring training now. This is a different spring training because of the CBA talks dragging on. Does Does it feel like the last week? of spring training to you you know the last seven day or well the last week for Toronto there's seven days left until the the regular season but does it kind of feel or seven games left until the regular season does it does it feel the same now as it would any other spring you know we're at this time now is it the same as it would have been in 2018 2017
3: Yeah, you know what? Even though it's been a shorter spring, it does a little bit. I was just telling someone this morning I'm kind of sick of being down here and I'm ready to get going. Um, And, you know, we're going to start to make our final cuts here pretty soon just because, you know, as Barker knows, um, you know, guys start worrying about, you know, do I need an apartment in Atlanta? Do I need a place to stay? Am I shipping my car up? Start going to the clubhouse, guys. And they don't know and they have to start making arrangements. So I think the sooner we can start telling these guys, the better we're off today. Um, and really what we like to do is when we're making these decisions, we like to do it on home, home dates in spring training, just because when the team goes on the road, especially in Florida, the bus sometimes is leaving earlier. Not everyone's coming in at the same time. So, um, you know, I would say by Sunday at the latest, we'll probably have the team set. We open up on Thursday. So we're heading our last game is, um, uh, yeah, our, our last game is early next week. So, um, but yeah, I think we're getting to the point, especially now that we're going to be expanded at 28 players, um, everyone 's doing the same thing you just don 't want to lose any of your depth, so as much as there 's a focus on who 's on the opening day twenty eight you just want to make sure you keep as many players as you can because we can make changes two weeks into this thing
0: yeah you you do get to that point in spring training where you reach what I call peak Florida. I mean, you just do yeah <laughs> yeah make sure you, you get to that point big where time. it's it 's time to go hey uh well boy you i mean you 've you 've had an an awfully hectic off season and, and I thought of this with when Freddie Freeman left and signed with the Braves and you turned around and brought Matt Olson in and, and the other acquisitions you've made to your team. And I was wondering, because I know that you often talk about your experiences growing up as an Expos fan. Of course, you've had experiences in the Blue Jays front office. You've been a fan of or been around teams that have lost franchise player. I mean, Montreal, it was almost an annual occurrence that a franchise player was leaving Toronto. Of course, Carlos Delgado uh, ended up leaving Roy Halliday. I These are all different circumstances. I get that. But after all this stuff happened with Freddie, were you able to kind of compare the different circumstances involved in those and, and just how it feels to lose somebody like that from a franchise?
3: Like you said, it was just different parts of my life, right? So with the Expos, obviously I was a huge Expos fan, 1994, the strike, and then 1995 we're back playing and Kenny Hills traded, Wetlands traded, Grissom's traded. Those guys were traded so fast. But I remember just being a pure baseball fan and being upset when the Lion Shields was traded and then ended up being a great deal. Um, you know, when I got to Toronto, my first year was 2004, and that was Carlos Delgado's last year. So I'd just gotten to the Blue Jays. Um, that was similar in the sense that he wanted to stay, at least from my understanding. But I was in amateur scouting, and, I, again, I had just gotten there. Uh, mm-hmm. But my understanding was that he wanted to stay. Financially, the ball club wasn't spending a lot on payroll. You know, I think the biggest issue was just the percentage of payroll that was going to be allocated to him. Um, with respect to Freddie, we had talks with him during the summer. He wanted to stay. That was very clear. Like he's an elite player. He's going to cost a lot of money. He's going to do very well from a financial standpoint. And um, we just got to a point where it didn't look like we was going to get done, and we had to move on. We have a really good club, and he's such a key. He was such a key part of our club for so many years that we you know we needed to make sure we were going to fill the left-handed bat, the great defensive first base. Um, but I guess just in time, you understand that. There's an emotional component to it, the fan base and all those other things. But I have learned the hard way that as long as you get results, um, with you know, in terms of the end of the year, getting back to the playoffs and so on, things should work themselves out. But, you know, whether you have star players or not, if you don't make the playoffs, everyone's going to be upset.
1: Alex, why did Kenley Jansen make sense?
3: You know, we wanted to add bullpen even in November. Uh, it's just something over time. I hate being put in the, at, at the trade deadline, having to go add bullpen help. We had to do it in 2019. It was an awful experience. We had to trade a bunch of young players. We have to take on a ton of salary. And you're competing with every other contending team. Every team has room to add bullpen. Um, everyone can fit those guys from a payroll standpoint. And it's just it's not something you want to do during the year. And the other component is, um, if you're going to add bullpen help, for the most part, you're probably doing it closer to July. So if things aren't going well for you early, you're going to scuffle through four months of bullpen problems and lose games and the last part of it is if you plan on being a contending team you're going to need a deep bullpen because you know you might be down a run or two and you want to have good relievers to keep the game close so and you want to be able to give guys days off and our bullpen was fantastic in the playoffs because we had off days but during the season you play 20 games in a row 15 games in a row you can't pitch the same three or four guys so Ideally, if you could be seven or eight deep in the bullpen the entire year, that's obviously the home run scenario, but we were pretty determined to add bullpen. Even in November, we talked about Jansen, but you know we couldn't come, come to terms. We looked at other trades, we looked at other bullpen guys, and then finally coming out of the, out of the lot lockout on the Friday, we um, were able to finally get a deal that made sense for us.
0: You know, we had Ned Colletti on uh, the day, actually, that Kenley Jansen signed, a couple of hours before he signed. And we were talking about the possibility of Kenley with the Jays. Now, And, and Ned made an interesting point about him because, of course, Ned knows him very well. Ned was the GM when Kenley uh, broke in. And he said, look, this is how I view Kenley Jansen. Can he get you 40 or 50 saves? No, probably not. Can he get you 20 to 30 and help someone else get you 20 to 30? Absolutely. And and I, I just found that that description of Kenley Jansen, I would think, kind of jibes with what you were looking at. Right. He he's he can be that guy that that just kind of stabilizes things.
3: Yeah, I guess I just I know obviously people look at the save set with with closers, but, you know, you're not you know, if you're if you're good and you're you're winning the majority of the time or that's what you're, you're we're planning on doing or we hope to do. You're not going to be able to have someone closing each night. They're going to need days off and so on. And, you know, from my standpoint, Kenley had a good year last year. He had an ERA in the low twos. The walks a little bit high. The strikeouts were still good. But really, the last two months of the year and into the playoffs, he was really, really sharp. And obviously, I'm, I have a lot of familiarity with him with the two years I spent with L.A. But it was seven innings, one walk, 14 strikeouts in the playoffs. You know, he's been able to reinvent himself and pitch and mix He's dur- durable. He's never had IL problems. So, look, I, I mean, if we gave him the ball enough times, could he get 30, 40 saves? Sure. Um, but, again, w- our goal is going to be to keep these guys fresh. So what that ends up in terms of save opportunities and so on. Will Smith last year had 37 or 38 saves for us. Um, mm. That's a product of being able to win a lot of games and, and being in close games. But, really, the way he pitched the last two months and the way he pitched into the playoffs – uh, made us feel really good about it. And I also know what he brings to a clubhouse in a room. And now just having that depth. Will Smith can close A.J. Minter's closed in the past. Luke Jackson's closed in, in the past. So um, we have a lot of guys that, that could certainly pitch the ninth if someone needs a day off.
1: Uh, we, we've had coaches on, and, you know, they, they tell us stats about where guys are hitting in the in the lineup, uh, what catcher matches up, you know, better with with, with which pitcher, uh, is there a stat for repeating?
3: <laughs> yeah, I wish. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I get asked about that a lot. Man, what are you going to do to repeat and this and that? I just, yeah. it's hard enough to make the playoffs. And I, I think, you know, one of the mistakes, you know, obviously you're always self-evaluating. And I look at, you know, I'm, I I analyze from a, my own role, what could I have done better? What would I change? And I look at going from 2020, we're in game seven at the NLCS, we had a 3-1 lead. We lose game seven by one run. We're so close to getting in the World Series. We would have had a real shot, uh, certainly, if we had, we had gotten there. And I got so consumed with what wins in the playoffs going into 21. And we had cut pay- we cut payroll from 20 to 21 because of the pandemic and so on. But the moves that we did make, you know, some of them definitely worked out well. Um, but they were all designed winning in the playoffs. And I think we lost sight of the fact is you need to get there. And you start to look too far ahead about building a roster for the postseason to get there is hard enough and you need that depth to certainly do it. Um, you know, but I can tell you this, my, my goal every year is how do we get back to the playoffs? And then at that point, anything can, can occur. Um, I'd, I'd be lying if I, if I told you, I didn't consider the Pat Gillick teams and how much they turned the, the team over from 1992 to 1993. I asked Brian Cashman about it in the off season, just if there's anything that he learned. Theo Epstein works with MLB now. He's at the GM meetings. I asked him about certain things. Um, so, but I, I don't think there's really a formula. I think you just have to worry about being able to get back. The NLEs for us, everyone's gotten better. The Nationals, the Marlins, the Phillies, the Mets, everyone's gotten better. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for us, for us to get back there. Um, but I do think and I expect us to be competitive and hopefully to be in the mix.
0: How much of an impact is the DH going to have on things in the, American, or in the National League this year?
3: You know, it really changes the way you build your bench. So 2020, it was nice. DH, you don't have to worry about your bench. And then going into 21, you have to start worrying about the importance of a bench and who you're going to hit when, and are you pulling your starter, and how does that impact your bullpen and all those things. So I'd say the majority of clubs obviously want to be able to rotate guys through the, the DH spot. Um, I just like the fact that we don't have to worry about when do we pull our starter? When does a reliever come in? Um, you know, and just, look, okay, I was always a guy that was pretty adamant. I love the NL growing up an Expos fan. I loved the strategy. I love the thought, if you wanted to play a poor defensive player, you have to pay the price for it. And uh, if that meant you wanted, you wanted to bat in the lineup, I liked it. But then the more I saw certain guys flail away, um, and then having the DH back in 2020 in the NL, I realized how much more I enjoyed it. And it's just from a, you know, trying to build a team, the roster and so on. It's a lot easier because now our bench, the focus on the bench is more if guys are going to miss significant time, can those guys step in and play? So, unless you're going to run platoons in certain spots. But, um, you know, having people that can pinch hit, accept their role, know their role, that was a big thing when you're in the NL and you're trying to build a bench.
0: Alex, as always, we appreciate your time. Best of luck this season. Uh, thanks so much, and, uh, yeah, we'll do this again.
3: Good luck. All right, guys, really glad to be on. Really appreciate it. Take care.
0: Absolutely. That's Alex Anthopoulos. Manny Sharp. Manager of the Atlanta Braves. That's something that uh, I, I think will be an interesting story as the season goes on, To the impact of the DH on, on National League teams. Because, as you heard Alex say, it, it does – change the way you look at the composition of the bench. You've got to at least take into account now, as opposed to maybe having a guy on because he's got this skill set or because he can do this, it seems to me Kevin that especially for National League teams, the emphasis is on is this player good enough to give me maybe 3 weeks at one position if a guy goes down. You know, as opposed to simply is he a good is he a good pinch hitter it it's like i said i i i'm I'm glad it's here i'm I was a fan of the d h even when I was covering the national league because so many people I knew in the national league people like Philippe alou were fans of the d h they just they just they saw the way the game was going they saw where pitching was going, and they just thought it made sense to allow pitchers to pitch and you know let let hitters hit, but I think we really underestimate how it is going to fundamentally change the composition of a lot of teams. Yeah, not not
1: everybody can play on both sides of the ball. It makes it a lot easier for GMs and and managers just to say this guy can hit, we're going to DH him. You got you got mm-hmm. all these teams now that can go out and do that. But for me, it it's it was a no-brainer. I'm tired of watching pitchers hit. Pitching is too good now for guys to go up who don't practice it on an everyday basis and yes. think they're going to go up and have competitive at-bats. The their at-bats look
0: ridiculous. Kevin, I it's think it's time more to move on. I think more than that, it's dangerous. I, I well say the argument I, this is the argument I was always, I've been making for the past five years is you, you, you can talk about, oh, the strategy of having the, the pitcher in the game and having to factor. And I do like what Alex said. The one thing, the one thing I did like about not having the DH is it did it did penalize the team that sacrificed defense. Yeah, you know, it 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 did penalize that team, but I I just got to the point where it was dangerous. It, it's dangerous for somebody to go up and 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 look at a guy who's throwing a hundred, even yeah. if that guy has control. It, it's it's just dangerous, and it's yeah, the not, shi- the it's the not ship. worth it. The shift has helped bad defensive teams, and
1: we know that. It's, it's helped hide bad defensive players. So that, that's, you know, doesn't shine a light on, on as many bad defensive players as it used to. But I'm with you. Like, like velocity has killed the hitting pitcher. It really has. And we've seen enough. Like that, that's about two minutes that you can never get back. And now you can actually see a pitcher on the mound who has to think about getting nine hitters out not seven because a lot of catchers aren't any good. So you're looking at the bottom of the lineup eight and nine is cruise control for National League pitchers. Now it's not. Now you're thinking, oh, now I can't let this guy on because now you have to have competitive bats throughout throughout the entire lineup. So it's better for fans, better for baseball, and quite frankly, it's going to be harder for pitchers to get through it, and I like that.
0: Yeah, and let's be clear as well that if it wasn't for the DH, Albert Pujols wouldn't be back with the St. Louis Cardinals, and that's kind of a that's a good story. No, I, I, I'm with you. I, 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 I think it's a decision that had to be made. And um, I think whatever you quote-unquote lose in the game will more than be made up by, uh, by what the DH is going to bring to the National League. Mr. Barker, as always, thank you for doing this. We will be back tomorrow from 9 to 10. A reminder, we shift to 10 to noon. On April 4th. And then, of course, we've got uh, three to five opening day. Blue Jays talk after every Blue Jays game. Going to be a busy, busy spring and summer. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, it's Blair and Barker, the podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcast.